time for the SBL shoot around, and we got the women's competition covered with Giants all-time great and two-time coach of the year, Randy McGill, joining Chris Pike for all the latest news, analysis, and interviews. Let's go on another SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to Women's SBL Shoot Around. We're back here for our fourth show show here, Randy, and hopefully that means we're doing something right. Hopefully it means that our listeners are enjoying what we're providing. We've got a sponsor on board, obviously, with, with Bassett Scarf Realty, so that's that points to a positive sign. I don't think you can question the quality of our guests either on the back of, of Darcy Garbin last week, and now we've got two very special guests with one of the all-time great SBL coaches and probably one of the all-time great warriors of the SBL, especially in the last decade, for us to, to speak to as well. So that'll 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 fill up this this show pretty quickly randy and we also got our last four teams to talk talk about how they were shaping up for this sbl season we've got the west coast classic to talk more about so there's plenty for us to get get into so let's get stuck into it i'm chris pike but randy meagle is the man that i'm joined by and the man that you're all here to to hear from randy how do i find you this week yeah very good mate thanks very much yeah welcome back everyone and uh, thanks for listening to, to our show and uh hope you're enjoying the interviews and and our general chat about the wsbl yeah, really looking forward to this week's show. The guest I'm talking about, Ryan Petrick, who for 10 years was in charge of the Rockingham Flames. You had some some great battles battles with him, and the last time you coached against him, you drove him out of the, the women's competition when you knocked him out of the, the playoffs in 2018. So that was that was all your, your doing, but he's now the coach of the Perth Lynx, so it's been great for a WNBL coach to join us here on SBL Shootaround. And then our second guest is somebody that you made a captain at the Mandarin Magic. She's been an incredible warrior for over 300 games now, so Rachel Helene will be fantastic to hear from too yeah Rachel yeah she's a fantastic uh, player and like you say a competitor and you know she's she's up around the 300 games now so she's been around for for quite a while and uh, yeah look forward to talking to Rachel I haven't spoken to her for probably I don't know close to six months yeah. um, which seems a long time when you're you know you're training and, mm-hmm. and and playing for the you know five five or six years yeah. uh, in each other's pocket so yeah no it'd be, be good to catch up with Rachel Casey Milo was obviously captain at the Magic for a long time. You made the decision to go with Rachel instead, and that wasn't anything against Milo. It was probably, if anything, to take some of the pressure off off her. Yep. But then you had Rachel there as the obvious leader just because of the, the role model that she is and the way she sets the standards so high in everything she does. Was, it, was that an obvious choice for you to, to make her captain? Probably. Uh, I spoke to the coaching staff in Patty and Craig about that as well and also Milo and um, we decided to go down that path. Um, you know, Casey's obviously taught Rachel everything she knows, um, you know, and the younger girls can now, you know, have another leader that they can continue the culture down at Mandra. It's been passed on from, you know, Brooke Ryan and those girls and Shelley Boster and Gemma, you know, down to Casey and now on to Rach and yep. Bree and... Emma and those girls, so, yeah. And Ryan Petrick as well. We'll speak to him uh, after after this first break on SBL Street Around. We spoke about him being appointed the Perth Lynx coach, you know, in some detail last week. But since then, we've got some news that he's made his first signing, signing and it couldn't have been a bigger one, Sammy Whitcomb. That's pretty exciting for, for him in the Perth Lynx. And it's great for... I mean, it's great for basketball in WA that somebody who Ryan brought out here to play at Rockingham and now that they're reconnected at, at the Perth Lynx. Yeah, well, when we first started the show, Chris, we sort of, you know, wanted to 
bring basketball you know um, to everyone and we yeah. sort of thought what we're going to talk about and and we said well there'll be stuff happening every week that we can talk mm. about and this has probably you know been the story yeah. thus far of, of our show and 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 this week is the signing signing of Sammy and it's just fantastic for women's you know, basketball in WA when you don't have when the NBL is not going to have imports this season how how huge is it to get somebody like Sammy who He's clearly an import level player, given she's a WNBA star and and a star at at Opal's level as well. I mean, she's basically an import, but counts as an Australian. How huge is is that? Oh, absolutely! Like it's um, just great, you know. Um, you know, the the WNBL is probably the second best women's competition, you know, in the world. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. You know, we're always running there for a for a medal. So, you know, although Sammy is a, an import, I mean, should be knowing that she's she's going to have some stiff competition from you know yeah. the Eastern States team as well. And you know, she would have chosen the links to come home, I suppose, in some way, but also know that she's um, going to have some ultra tough competition from from other clubs. Now, this time next week, would you be surprised if we don't have the announcement of Darcy Garvin joining her at the Perth Links to talk about too? Yeah, well, Darcy didn't give too much away last week and, um, you know, so I think it'd be a fantastic getting those those two back together, you know, playing for so long and the standard that they're, they're now at and see what they could do together in, the, in, in this competition. Also, since our show last week, we've had it confirmed by Basketball WA that the West Coast Classic will be happening. I think pretty much the details that we we had put together were pretty much on the money. The competition will start on on July 24. It'll run through, I think, 10 weeks, and then we'll have a a weekend of of finals action in September where I think the top four teams will play on a Friday night and then the grand finals will be over over the weekend. I think pretty much like we've spoken about the last couple of weeks, if your players are here, whether their imports are local and they've been here through the, the whole COVID process or, or, or isolation, then they're eligible to play in your team. So that means some teams are going to be chock full of their imports and, and some teams are probably going to be very, very light on, like potentially the Mandra Magic, who we'll speak to, to Rachel about about later in the show and potentially even, even the Rockingham Flames, as we'll speak to Ryan about, whose who's wife Chelsea is obviously still part of that, that team at the Flames. And then you've got you've got some some clubs that have probably got their imports like like Dion at the Warwick Senators. He's got Michaela Dyer here. He's got Stacey Barr here. He's got a, a team chock full of talent. What do you make of how the West Coast Classic is, is shaping up? Yeah, well, each club's going to have a different um, team on the floor as far as, you know, they're going to be going, going out to win it or they're going to be using it as development. And, you know, individually, players are going to want to prove to their coaches that, uh, you know, I'm right to go next year, you know, I'm, I'm as good as what I'm telling you or whatever it is. So, you know, there's so many different reasons to play and there's, you know, other reasons not to play. So uh, until we sort of see maybe week one or week two of it, Chris, we won't really know. You know how it's going to how it's going to stand. I guess. Well, if you were still coaching, would you be keen for it? Would you be as excited for this as you would have been for an SBL season? Yeah, I think I would approach it in the fact of maybe giving some of the you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then maybe you know have some of the more established players maybe coming off the bench and and just say they're learning that role as well. And yeah, I would I'd be using it as a development type season myself. Yeah. What about as a dad? Do you encourage Casey to play play this season? Um, I'm not too sure whether she is playing or not. I know she's been at practice and she's got a few other things going going on, but I think she should play. Um, but she's an old enough girl now to make her own decisions. So um, let's sort of wait and see what, what, what happens there. 
Okay, let's keep moving because we've got a jam-packed show and plenty more to get to with with Ryan Patrick and Rachel Helene. But last time we'll have to do this, Randy. We've got a grand final to speak about that you were coaching at the Mandurah Magic 2018. You got them. You got them back there. Um, fascinated to continue the, the discussion from last week, where the lessons you learned from the 2017 loss, where you were, you felt you were too too small. Ultimately, come grand final time, and you have a look at the numbers that Nat Burden and Sarah Donovan put up rebound wise in the grand final, final, and getting to the foul line. It made a made a huge difference. By the time you got to the grand final in 2018, you had Jinka Palusna there. You didn't have Carly Bogue, but you decided to go big, and and Jinka was probably the biggest player in the league. Yeah, I tried to get Jinka probably the first or maybe the second season I, I coached and um, we looked at her and it just it, it, it didn't happen and uh, we're just lucky enough that Nikki had gone to Sweden, Nikki Gilday and uh, Jinka was on the same team. So that's where we um, got the contact there and um, when I spoke to her she was obviously very keen to come out. Mm. She came out sort of mid, mid-season and it was sort of ideal as Carly had just gone down. I would have liked to seen those two yeah. sort of play together. I think that would have been a, a great combination and you know the strength of Jinka which which I really um, like was her passing ability yep. so and obviously we, we didn't have a lot of height so that was that was good. I remember her debut she wouldn't have been long off the plane she she came out onto the court I forget who you were playing but you were playing down at down at home it might have even been Anzac Day from, yep. from memory against the, the Perth Redbacks she had a huge knee brace on and I thought geez I, I don't know about this Randy yeah but as the season wore on, she got better and better, and come come the playoffs, she was she was a huge influence for you, especially after you'd lost Carly Bogue, because once she went down with her knee injury, that was a that was a huge loss. But I don't know if you would have recovered for her without Jinka being there. Yeah, I don't think we would have either. Um, yeah, Jenka did start slow, probably trying to adapt to a whole different competition, yep. and and and, that, and and as you say, with that knee brace, we actually got some complaints mm. <laughs> from opposition players and coaches, and had to get that sorted out with mm-hmm. uh, with SBL and get some photos and get them to come down and have a look at it because they were sort of saying it was sharp and, mm. and that type of thing. It's it's a pretty you know heavy um, knee brace, yep. you know, and uh, I can sort of see why some of the other girls playing against it did did have a problem. Yeah. Did she have to change it or did, did she keep no, using the same No, one? she didn't have to change it, which was good. And, you know, if she did have it, have to change it, I think it uh, possibly she may not have even been able to play it. So yeah. it's especially made for her. Now, unlike the year before where it was a relatively smooth run where you and Lakeside, uh, you and Perry Lake, sorry, were neck and neck throughout the whole regular season and you know, going one and two. And then really at the end of the day, you had been a lock to basically get to the grand final for a for a long time, even though Lakeside was a, a reasonably close third. This year was a lot different. You, you obviously lost Carly Bogue during the season. I think from memory, you know, um, as we'll speak about with Rachel Helene, she battled a – she had a broken leg at some point. Yeah, yeah, Casey Milo battled some diff- different injuries. And you just – you struggled to get your best team on the on the court for a lot of the season. And I think you ended up finishing in in sixth spot. So it was a, it was a regular season that didn't quite go to plan. No, we were, we were really, really struggling and, you know, just – we just, I just said to the girls, we're just going to have to take it. You know, let's just put our goals in, you know, two or three game goals mm. and really just try and break it down. And I think we had to win seven of our last yeah. nine games just to, to make the playoffs. And, and we sort of got rolling towards the end of the, the season and then we finished six. Yep. And um, which didn't give us home court advantage, and I think we, uh, yeah, well, we did end up playing the Flames. Yeah. So, uh, that game one against Rockingham, you made a hell of a statement. And, and really, you kept the momentum going throughout the playoffs from there. But that game one in Rockingham to to go there and beat that team who were full of confidence at that time, that must have must have given your whole group enormous belief. 
Yeah, the girls were really up for that game. The previous game we played them, I reckon, might have been three or four weeks earlier, and they 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 beat us mm. convincingly, you know, by twenty or thirty. Yep. And um, they knew they were in for a tough game. We just felt like we may have been a little bit more seasoned than um, them, mm-hmm. so we just decided to put pressure on them right from the word go. We had had a full court defensive set on them straight away, and just put them under pressure, and it and it did work. We got away with a you know a nice handy break, and they mm. couldn't pull that back and you took on the Perth Redbacks in the in the second round and I think I think I remember they finished second at the end of the regular season they had a really good team Charles Nix in his first season season as coach they had added some some quality players Michaela Dyer and Michaela Perini were a couple that that's that spring spring to mind maybe even Kayla Steindl from from from, from memory yeah um so that was a that was a talented team and you were coming back from from sixth spot but Two close games, both pretty much went went down to the buzzer, but you were able to get over the line and, and do it in two games. Yeah, I felt in that series where there was actually no pressure on us mm. at all, yeah. uh, and all the pressure was on on the Redbacks uh, to perform. But like you did say, then um, both games uh, the Redbacks had their last shot to mm. to win the game, um, so could easily go on the other way. But you know, we ended up uh, winning game one, and then going down to game two in Mandurah yep. to a packed Mandurah yeah. stadium with all the local support, and and won that. How was this feeling different to the year before to get to a grand final? Oh, I thought we just worked so hard to 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 get there. There was nothing easy about that season, mm. um, and uh, it's it just felt really rewarding to to get back there and um, ha- have another go at it. But I was just so proud of the way the girls turned it around, you know. And uh, and when we went into that grand final, we were actually really really confident of knocking Lakeside yeah. off. And did you fix up a couple of the things that you thought you might have done wrong the year before, especially in the preparation, getting to the game not as early? Did you feel like everything you did preparation-wise did better than you did a year before? Yep, yep. We'd done everything, uh, as I said in the previous podcast, and you know, even a lot of girls um, decided to get off social media, and uh, I thought we, we prepared a lot better than what we did. And it showed in the game because yeah. for the first 35 minutes, you were clearly the best team on the court against against the Lakeside Lightning. With five minutes 30 to go, you were leading 64 to 54. Yep. Did it cross your mind that you had done enough to win it all yeah. by that point? Um, I think Anita Brown might have got a breakaway layup and mm. I sort of thought, shit, this is actually going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't think um, that we'd won, obviously, because yeah. we'd had a game previous against Lakeside where we were up by quite a bit as well, and they made a, a, an enormous comeback to, to beat us. So I was always in the back of my mind because I was so, such a high, high-powered scoring you know, outfit that it could change at any time. But, you know, they did get on a roll. The thing that we we done is we missed a couple of easy layups and yeah. stuff just to break their momentum. Yep. So they just kept rolling and rolling. It's remarkable. I mean, 21 straight points they scored to finish the game. Um, I don't know what to say about it. What, what, was, what was going through your mind in that last five minutes? Yeah, I've worked on a couple of different things. I was When we were up by 10, I was actually thinking I, I might just change something up for a minute or two that we'd been working on. You know, mm. some, that's sort of like a, a match-up zone, almost like a box-on-one. Then I was worried that you know, Phipps was going to get open or, or Burns was going to get open. So that was playing in the back of my mind. And then I thought, well, why should I change something when we're, we're actually still up? Yeah. And then that thought sort of come back in my mind once we sort of got to two to four. And then I'm thinking if I do change it up, you mm. know, it might go might go worse. So yeah. I was fighting with a lot of feelings in those, the last couple of minutes for sure. And then when Kelly got fouled off, I had to make a decision on who was going to guard Shagmire as well. And, you know, had a lot of different things running around in my head as well. So, yeah, it was a... 
bloody tough life last five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I felt horrible for you sitting there. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing because you might not have been thinking it, but when you were up 10 with five minutes ago, I thought, I thought you'd done enough to win and I was really happy for you because I'd been along the ride with you the last few years and I know how much you and the girls had put into it. But, you know, so had Lakeside, I guess, and you touched on it last week. They had the pain of losing that game three in the semifinals to you. Yeah. Last year, they had been on top all of this season in 2018 and I guess, you know, Schwagmeyer and Craig Mansfield and, and, and you know, you know Courtney Mansfield and, and Sydney Phipps and Sam Roscoe, they, they just weren't going to let it slip. They, From their point of view, they probably never felt that the game was over and... No, uh, they threw threw everything at it in that last five minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, we <laughs> our game plan worked quite well. Um, you know, I remember watching the the grand final maybe a week or two later and listening to Travis. You actually watched and, it. Yeah, yep. Listening to Travis and Fleur, you know, commentate on the game, and one thing that stuck in my mind was they were questioning why um, we were closing out so hard on Shagmire and maybe not letting her shoot yeah. the three. We'd always played Shagmire that way. We wanted her to to drive, make her work hard and when she is driving sometimes she'll dish the ball off so therefore it's out of her hands and actually what ended up happening is um, Ali's three point shot ended up actually hurting us. And so did Roscoe's from memory. Yeah Roscoe and and Burns and they all those girls they they all just popped up at times you know we thought I thought we'd done a really good job on on Sydney Phipps Milo wore her like a glove. Oh he did I mean she went (laughs) 3 of 14 for the game. So you know Casey done a fantastic job there then you know so, that is, but that, I mean, you, you did so much right. I mean, you have a look at the way Phipps shot. She was one of the best shooters in the competition that season, but she yeah. went three of 14. Ash Grant went four of 14. Even even Schwagmeyer went seven of 16. Courtney Mansfield went three of seven. Hmm. I guess, you know, for 35 minutes, you did do almost everything everything perfectly. You got some big performers yourself. Anita Brown, 19 points. Gina Palusna, she had an interesting grand final. She probably missed some of those gimmies late where it might have only taken a one basket to probably stem the tide, but they just, it just wouldn't fall. And That's what I'm yeah. thinking. It's yeah. just needed the one or two of those shots to drop and it just would have stopped, you know, a little bit of momentum. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems stupid to say, but it must have been heartbreaking. Um, what, what was going through your mind when you were sitting there post-match? <laughs> uh, you can't swear on this show, can you? You can say what you <laughs> like at your show. Like what just happened there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just disappointment. You know, I just felt like that we, we didn't deserve to lose like that. No, well, uh, to, to be yeah. honest, you didn't deserve to lose. No. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say the word embarrassment because it's not embarrassing, but it's just like not to be able to come up with something to stop a run like that was probably the most frustrating thing for me, you know, and took a couple of – a couple of days and a couple of weeks of going over things, you know. So that's probably the the hardest thing for me because I was coaching, you know. I, I should have done this or I should have done that. You knew it was going to be your last game as coach as well the whole time. Yeah. Did that make it feel any different afterwards? Did you did you feel better? Did it, did it make the pain better or worse or different? Did it did it change your feelings at all? No, I was super excited when I got there, yep. like to the game, and uh, prepared well. And I thought I spoke well to the girls, spoke well to the girls for half time, you know. And um, yeah, when we got back in the change rooms, it was uh, distress, but um, you know, I made the girls feel proud about what they'd done, and yep. um, you know, sort of kept the emotions in check, let them be emotional. And mm. once I got away from them, then I become emotional. Sure. <laughs> um. This is a tough question to ask, but I'm fascinated to find out your answer at the same time. You had to be persuaded to coach on again in 2018 after the 2017 loss. Yep. You, you were happy to do it, but yep. 
If 12 months earlier I told you that you'd lose a grand final in that fashion, would have you coached on for another season? Uh, <laughs> hey, good question. Um, I th- no, probably not. Mm. Probably not. It was um, a draining, draining season, and yeah. probably by the time it had all finished, and I sort of felt like that I'd had enough and needed yeah. a break. So, yeah. Well, now that we're, what are we? Well, so we're twenty months on from it. Does it still hurt? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it does. Um, I don't lose any sleep over it by by any means. Yeah. It's just something that uh, would have been good in the trophy cabinet, you know, yeah. um, and also for the players, obviously. So that's, yeah, that's probably the hardest thing to swallow. How relieved are you now that we've finished talking about it and we hopefully don't have to bring it up too often yeah, again? Yeah, well, the, the viewers are probably <laughs> had enough of me talking about it as well, you know, death by 50 cuts, I yeah. think. I, I hope that they find it fascinating because I found <laughs> I found it fascinating to get your insights into it. I know it's tough, but it's an, it's an experience that you live through sport and you know the, to find out the story behind. I guess what we see on the court is fascinating. So thank you for being willing to talk about it. I don't know if you had a choice, really. You were told no. to talk about <laughs> it, but no. Th- well, thank you for being happy to open open up about it and and offer your thoughts. I know it's not easy because it's when basketball is your life, like it has been, and. You put everything into trying to win a championship and then yeah. you are so close to winning a championship and it's within one shot of basically you winning it. I know how tough it must be to, to reflect on it. So thank you for being willing to do it. No worries. Let's that, hope things get a little bit easier f- for you from, uh, from yeah. here. So let's keep moving on SBR Shooting Around. Ryan Patrick will lighten things up for us. He's always good for a chat. So let's head straight into, into our discussion with Ryan now. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and great pleasure for me to catch up with two guys who have, have had great coaching journeys in the women's SBL, obviously, great battles against each other, and, and done some some great things, and I'm fascinated to hear them chat to each other, and for them to catch up as well, and to learn a lot more about, about our special guest as well, now that he's moving up in the world as a head coach in the WNBL, so before we waste any more time, let's get straight to the man. Ryan, how do I find you the, this evening? Uh, wet, very wet, but everything else is good. How you going, guys? <laughs> yeah, very, very well, Ryan. Very, very pleased you were happy to join us as well, and and really happy as we spoke about on the show last week for you to get the chance to now be a w, WNBL head coach at the at the Perth Lynx. Before before I hand you over to Randy, how happy and how happy and proud are you that you've done all of the hard work to get this opportunity, and how excited are you to to move ahead now now in charge of the Lynx? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a million emotions that go through it, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, excited is probably the bigger one. Um, mm-hmm. And also the daunting um, challenge that lays ahead of us. Uh, clearly, obviously, it's an exciting time going back to under um, the ownership of BWA and making sure it doesn't turn into what it was before with the West Coast Wave. Um, but obviously, as you're an assistant there for five years, you kind of, oh, I might do that differently. I like that. I'd do that, et cetera, et cetera. You've got all these great ideas, but as an assistant, they're just ideas, and mm-hmm. the, the reality, obviously, you become the head coach, and suddenly, like, these ideas better work, or you haven't got a job anymore. So it's also a uh, daunting challenge that lays ahead of us. Hey, going, oh, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Randy. Randy, good mate, yourself? Sorry to jump in there. Yeah, congratulations, no, mate. I'm happy for you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. I suppose it's probably been, what, maybe a week, a week and a half uh, since the announcement and you've probably got some wheels in motion already regarding, you know, your coaching staff and players and management and that type of stuff. Have they given you sort of any guidelines regarding uh, local players and import? Yeah, so, and that's been the... The really fun challenge. Um, so, you actually got, actually got the job way back in March, but then obviously 
um, someone did something with a bat over in China and everything turned crazy. Um, <laughs> and then obviously since there, the world's just gone to chaos. So um, yeah, got the job back in March because free agency was meant to open late March from memory. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously everything just ground to a halt. So yeah, I guess technically I've been in the job for a week, a week and a half, whatever it's been. But in reality, we've been doing so for two months, two and a half months. Back to the question of the guidelines with like kind of what the, the aim is from a coaching and management point of view. Um, certainly, they would love – a clearly, winning is important and would love to win as many games as possible. But obviously, being owned by Barcelona WA, there's also a strong um, desire to get as many West Australian um, pathway-based athletes into the program as possible. So whether that's the West Australian junior kid coming through the ranks or the player that's played in the state league um, and then come through those ranks. So again, the young kids can see if I play in the state league, I can make it to the national league. There's a pathway for those juniors. So that's probably the bigger part. Um, and then obviously back to the imports part, it's an import free season, which... Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it makes it really uh, makes it another or adds another layer of difficulty to the job. And obviously, I've been able to get a hold of a few decent imports over the years, and it took that bow out of the quiver, so to speak. But it's still an exciting challenge, and we'll still put a very competitive team on the court. We spoke to Darcy last week on the show, and she was actually excited about having a season without imports because of the fact that it gives players, local players who might not otherwise get a chance, a chance to actually show what they can do, but also. For the local players like her and I guess like Sammy Wickham, who I'll ask you about in a minute, it gives a chance for those local players to actually be now the genuine superstars on their team rather than, I guess, the imports coming in and being relied upon to do, to do that. Yeah, that sounds all the Darcy I know. Darcy's <laughs> pumped. I'm sure, I'm sure a big part of it, and I'm sure she's also genuine, but I'm also sure mm. a big part of it is she no longer has to try and guard the um, Mercedes Russells and um, Brianna yeah, Turners sure. uh, from Adelaide. Like She mm. was stuck on an island for the last, best part of the last two years trying to guard these import WNBA bigs. So obviously now she becomes, like, there's just less bigs in the league. So it becomes a smaller, more agile yeah. league, which suits her game perfectly. And sure. she's also right in fairness. There's a ton of um, really talented West Australian players and obviously Australian players in general. Uh, the Opals are always a lock for a medal in Olympic Games. And a chance with no imports gives the chance for the league to show even more Australian talent to the world. Well, we asked Darcy about it as, w- as well last week, so I might as well get it out of the way now with you. Um, <laughs> You've announced one signing already. What is the chance of Darcy coming coming back home to play for you, given how good of a relationship you've had for a long time? Um, yeah, strong, I guess. Uh, I, I can't announce <laughs> anything, obviously, until it gets announced. Um, yeah. But clearly, Darcy was someone... I don't, I don't think it took a rocket scientist to figure out uh, that Darcy and Sammy Whitcomb would have been two of the first people uh, I spoke to. Um, obviously, we couldn't speak to Darcy properly until free agency opened, whenever that was. It was an awkward two months because, mm. like, everyone outside of the two of us um, thought, you know, oh, Ryan's now coaching Perth, like, Darcy's mm. probably going to come home. But obviously we yeah. couldn't even discuss it with her. Um, and, she, so, and she was back in Rockingham this whole time too. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, I, I did hear a snippet um, from the Facebook cut-ups last week where she borrowed some yeah. gym equipment from a friend. Well, that was yeah. <laughs> that was my gym. Like, she just – she. <laughs> Her mum came and raided the facility um, and everything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously, we, we get along pretty well. She's she's a ripper of a kid. And if we're good enough to bring her home, that would be an enormous signing for West Australia. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it was good to see um, a, a, a few uh, other locals um, get a start uh, last year as well, Ryan, with uh, Taylor and the Jewel and also Nasai Williams, who uh, really um, come on strong there at the end of the season. Correct. Yeah, no, we've got some, as I did say, like, there are some really good West Australians coming through the system. They've done a really good job at BWA the last three, four, five years, turning around some of those programs and really producing some kids that can play. Obviously, my first year or two years in the league, um, outside of Darcy, oh, sorry, inside the WNBL, outside of Darcy, there really wasn't anyone. Um, Ash Grant played a couple of years for Melbourne. Was that it? I, I'm off the top of my head. Well, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you right. like, really wasn't many. And I might, um, if I'm missing someone, I apologise, but hmm. my first two or three years, if you took out the juniors on the West Coast Links, how many West Australian girls were there in the league? Um, it wasn't many. But you're right, nowadays, there's some real talent coming through. And obviously, as Randy said, the three that played for us last year were great. And there's a whole bunch of them right now over in college that when they come back, we'd love to sit down and talk to. Really try and fill out this roster with as many very talented West Australians as we can. The one signing we can talk about is Sammy Whitcomb, obviously. I mean, there's no guarantee she would have ever got to where she is unless you brought her out here to give her that chance with Rockingham. And that chance at the Flames with how dominant she ended up being to help you do those championships got her into the WNBL and got her into the WNBA. It got her in, into the Opals, and it's you know it's it's kickstarted everything. You, you just never know if that had have happened if you didn't didn't help help her get that kickstart. How excited are you now to bring her back to to the links? Um, oh, I, I, in all honesty, I couldn't disagree with you more. Like she she would have made it. Now okay. she might not have made it this route, but she was going to get there from the second she got off the plane. Uh, again, I'll tell you a story. We went down, and um, I think she landed on a Thursday from memory, and. We went down on the Friday with Kay Tucker and a couple of other girls uh, just to go through some of the 5 on 0 uh, sets we were going to run on the Saturday night when she played. And um, literally from the time she put her keys and purse down and picked up a ball and took two dribbles towards the nearest ring, it just, there was an immediate wow between Tucker and myself. Like She just had a different handle on the ball. And then she started shooting from a foot. And you could tell immediately, like we knew we had a player before she got off the plane. And then as soon as we saw her shoot the ball uh, and walk with the basketball, it was like, this girl's the next level. Um, and I say that with confidence because the very next night, um, the Wildcats team manager was also an assistant coach for the Redbacks. And we had this random number 32 shooting threes from three metres behind the three-point line. And he said, who? I remember I remember Peter saying, like, who, who's that? I was like, mate, that's Sonny Whitcomb. And without a word of lie, I said, she will be the league MVP. And he just, mate, really? I'm like, Dude, you've got no idea how good this kid is. And eight days later, she dropped 46 points or whatever it was on some <laughs> some poor team that didn't know. So, yeah, she was always going to get there. Um, obviously, the fact it came through us, great. But if we'd missed out on her, she would have found a different way to make it. She was just too talented and had too good a work ethic. Going, um, yeah, sorry, Andy. That's all right, mate. No, that's no worries. I was just going to um, change subject a little bit and go back to when you were first stepped into the WSL as a head coach. Since then, then Brian, what, what do you, what, how do you view WSBO as far as your stadiums, your players, the standard of play? Um, do you see, do you feel like that uh, it's got better? Oh, it's not only do you feel it's gotten better, um, it, it just. You can also back it up with data. So mm-hmm. my first year in the women's SPL was 2009, and we finished third with a budget of $3,000. There is no way 
that anyone now could finish third on three thousand dollars and that's not because we were incredible back then but it's just um that that was possible back then i I couldn't moneyball that now uh the league has just gotten way too good way too talented um the stadiums obviously now are incredible the amount of talent in the league is just ridiculous also don't forget back then so 2009 10 11 that was the days of the west coast waves where Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of money to spend on players, and therefore, naturally, the players that came from over east and then played in the women's SBL—all due respect—but they were they were good players. They weren't Sammy Whitcombs. They weren't um, Lee Tomlinson back in the day when she came to Willerton. They weren't yeah. the the Allison Swagmires. They just they weren't that level. <laughs> Having said that, the best player I saw in the league outside of Whitcomb was Deanna Smith back in two thousand and nine. But outside of that, like. Sam was head and shoulders above everyone else. The league's gotten so much better, it's scary. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to say. Like, um, some of the players that you've seen in the WSBL, I bet you there's a few over the years that you'd actually like um, involved in your link program this year, like you said, with Deanna Smith. Are there any others that you'd like to mention? Um, from previous years? Yeah, just girls that you've seen come come through. One that comes to my mind that uh, really impressed me when she was out here for the year was the girl from the Lightning that you guys beat in the grand final. That Carrie Pickens. Pickens, yeah. Now she could play. Oh, there's a um, there's a wish list of uh, former players that you'd love to be able to coach. Like Pickens, obviously, <laughs> was very very talented. But even and clearly, I speak with a Rockingham bias from an SBL point of view. But the ability like to put the band back together, so to speak, and put um, Kay Tucker and Jacinta Bourne back out there alongside mm-hmm. uh, Sammy Whitcomb and potentially a Darcy Garvin. Like again, the, the Kay Tucker piece we just cannot find in the country. Um, that mm-hmm. six foot one point forward, they just don't exist. And the one that does is Jenro Hay, who captains Australia. Those point forwards are really hard to find. Unfortunately, Kay Tucker came through in an era when a power forward was a power forward. We played her as a point forward. And she changed everything and won an MVP in 2013, from memory, or 2012. So, yeah, all those kind of players. Obviously, Randy had a few stationed manager um, we could never get a hold of. Casey Molly, obviously, would be an incredible talent to get into this team. Um, always a massive fan of Courtney Hargroves, as any girl I've ever coached would know. I always, again, you just have your favourites as a coach. Um, yep. I just love the way she went about it. Uh, Sharni Amos, I apologise, I've forgotten her married name. Um, oh, well. But Sharni Yes, yeah, so, um, Shani Amos defensively always murdered us um, and hated going against her, but would naturally love having her on your team instead. There's just been so many of them over the years. Um, unfortunately, we have to build this team in 2020, so it's a shame. What about coaching-wise? You've had some great battles with guys like like Randy, like, you know, I guess, Simon Parker, like Craig Mansfield, Glenn Clark. I mean, there's, there's a big list of, you know, Craig Friday of, Really talented coaches, you know, and, and Docky Smith in more, or Docky Black in more recent years as well. Yep. But who did you really enjoy battling up against? And as you look to put your coaching staff together now for the Lynx, do you consider some of these sort of people? Uh, yeah, you do. Um, it's, a, it's a really fine balancing act uh, as well. And obviously, the WNBL is a fair commitment level as well, um, yep. especially as an assistant coach, as I would know. Um, it, it's a tough gig. Certainly, as I always felt bad for Randy and Manja because as Randy first got on the scene, Unfortunately, he ran into like our best teams. Um, mm. So, and obviously, eventually got the man drop to a level that really challenged us and was a real thorn in our side. So, had great battles with Randy, with Simon Parker. Um, he kicked my backside multiple times. Glenn Clark in the early years, Docky Smith more recently. I know I'm missing a ton. The one that always, um, I always lost sleep over was Craig Mansfield. He, um, yep. he ran stuff that we just didn't. Um, 
he was probably the guy that influenced me offensively as much as anyone. We had very, very different defensive styles and very different offensive styles, but that was always the team that we went home to cut up film and we would just naturally spend more on time on the lakeside slash Calamunda teams because they just played differently and they were just harder to scout. That was the one that probably pushed me the most um, from an X and O point of view. The last time you probably spoke to Randy, it might have been when his manager team knocked you out of the the playoffs in your last in your last season as as coach at the at the Flames. Have you does that does that make this a little bit a bit a little bit awkward? No, no, good times. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, no, as I said, like Randy was great. Like obviously he was really good when he first got there. He just didn't quite have the team ready, and we were at the peak of our powers back then. And then over the years, we slowly came down as manager became an, a power again. And yeah, Randy again kicked our backside in 2018. So appreciate you bringing that up. Luckily, we'd had some prior success, but Randy was, and, and I'm not saying this because he's on the line, but he was as good a bloke as you'll ever meet. You won't find anyone in the league who says a bad word about Randy ever. Obviously, he knew his stuff, but it was just a really genuine ripper bloke, as all the manager players would tell you. And probably more importantly, as the league would tell you, um, and that probably means as much as anything. Well, to be honest, that's why I chose to do this show this show with him. So I'm I'm very happy with Randy as my co-host too. <laughs> Thanks for those those words, Ron. I know you were one of the first guys that uh, got on the phone and and wished me all the best when we made those finals and stuff, which I appreciated. But going back to those really good teams you had when I first started out, I can just remember going, "Buddy, how long has this been going on for? Is this a normal team? Like, yeah. it's just." Way how good this, this team was um, when I first started coaching, you know, and then yeah. as the year rolled on, I realised that uh, no, nah, this is a this is a very special site. So, um, but yeah, yeah, no, no problems, mate. Like, like I said, sometimes, and as you were just unlucky when you first rocked up. Um, you need some luck in this game, obviously. Um, like, does it pan out if you don't find a McCannum? Does it pan out if you don't find Sammy Wickham? Does it pan out if you don't have K Tucker? Like, um, no coaches made it. Got there with no talent. Obviously, you need to have some luck with that. And that 2014 dynasty, I guess, we kind of started because in 2013, we failed badly when we thought we were a real chance. And it went into K Tucker's last year. Like, she was going to retire. We'd had multiple bites of the cherry and had never got it done. The club had never got it done. And 2014 was like, listen, I'm going one more time and that's it. And therefore, there was a real determination from the previous year. And probably more important to get it done for Tux. So that kind of kick-started that, and then from there, it just, it just rolled on. I think you lost four games in that two-year period. It must have been must have been a hell of a lot of fun to be to be coaching that group at that time. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it was, well, it was, it felt bad for other teams because, and mm. I, I don't, I'm, I know that sounds quite arrogant. I don't mean it like that. Purely from the mm. fact that we would look at it, especially offensively, like when we were really rolling, and we would sit there as a coaching staff saying, oh, I don't know how to guard that. Like, and I know it's our offense, mm. but with Whitcomb doing that, like the pieces just aligned perfectly. We had in 2014, we had eight girls who shot the three at over 33%. And again, 2014, the three point game isn't what it is today. So to have four guards who could do that in a four out one in offense and the one big being Darcy, just where do you help? I mean, I remember I had the state team in 2015 and uh, we played scratch matches against Rockingham. And so even I had to coach against it a few times and I would need to call a timeout with my state team and they would walk off the call like, Ryan, how do we guard that? And my honest answer was you, you don't, you just, you hope, um, you try and make it as, you try and make it as difficult for Sam and Jesse Bourne as you can. And if they make it, you tip your hat and you run down the other end. Sometimes there's just nothing you could do. And watching it, again, I felt bad for opposition coaches at times because it wasn't us as coaches. It was them as players. 
they were so tuned in. They were so good at what they did. Did it make yeah. you more proud that you were able to do that at Rockingham, at a club where you know you grew up at, your dad was president at, you know, going going back to when you were to where a kid? Obviously, if you build a program like that, you, you're proud of it wherever you are. But did it mean more for you that it was at Rockingham? Oh, absolutely. Um, so again, like in 2009, 2010, uh, we didn't have a heck of a lot of funds to do anything, um, mm-hmm. and just got run into the ground by the big boys and big girls of the league. The teams they could just outspend you, we just, we just couldn't match up with. It's a, um, it's an unfair game at times. Um, and in those years, at the end of the season, like someone would notice you and offer you a, a really good contract to go and coach against Rockingham. And it was mm-hmm. just rock, like, I really want to do it. I really want to win it here. Um, turn down big offers and big opportunities and loaded rosters to stay at Rockingham and just hope Rockingham could turn around, at least give you a fighting chance. Um, and clearly, they've now turned it into a powerhouse. It's great. Um, but yeah, to get it done at Rockingham, I, I would love to win 50 SBL championships, but winning one at Rockingham would have meant more than 49 elsewhere. Yeah. What about last year working with the men? It was a big change for you, and it was it was probably a big decision for you to let the women's team go, and and then to go on to see them win a win a championship under under Keegan was a remarkable story, and obviously your wife Chelsea was a big part of that team. But how did you find the change, and how did you find coaching the men men after being in charge of the women's team for so long? Oh, they are a ripper bunch of boys. Um, mm. They are so good. The funniest group I've ever been around. Um, Luke Roberts might be the funniest human I've ever met. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't think I've ever laughed as much at practice as I have with these guys. Uh, and that's not a slight on the girls. The girls were very mm. business-like and knew what was going on. The guys were just a loose bunch of units, so to speak. Just a really good bunch of kids, obviously really talented as well. But then uh, to get away from the women's program, like at, at the same time, 10 years is a long time. I plan on doing it for one or two. And going back to the men after that, was there for 10. And at some point, um, yeah, needed to go back and coach the men. And really glad there's as much love that women's team. Um, the guys' team at Rockingham has been home because that's what I grew up with. I didn't grow up with the women's team. I know I coached them forever. But when I was 12 and my dad was president putting that team together, they had the men's team second. Um, mm. And the guys were around our house. Peter Stewart, from memory, was our first import in the men's program with mm-hmm. Kelly, Kelly Houston. Well, Peter Stewart lived at our house for seven weeks whilst I think his house was getting ready or whatever. So as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, whatever I was, we had a six-foot-seven American point guard living in the same roof. Um, so I've kind of grown up around that men's team as much as I love the women, but the men's team has been in the blood for a long while. Now, you were still going to be coaching them this year in the SBL. Are you still going to coach them in the West Coast Classic now that that's been officially confirmed? Uh, yeah, I will. Clearly, uh, the world's changed pretty drastically and the workload's very full. Um, yeah. But no, we'll still do it. Um, we'd probably have preferred just to sit the year out, um, as most of our senior guys have indicated as well. Um, really hard. And I get the need to play and I'll leave that debate to people more intelligent than myself. But certainly from our guys' point of view, we loved the team we had ready to go. We, had, we loved our team last year, but we just couldn't get it on the court. And this year's team addressed a couple of issues we had with last year's roster, and we thought we were a real chance to win the whole thing this year, as I'm sure five or six teams thought. To then have the season ripped out from under you and to send your two jet imports home and um, then to roll into an amateur league and there's an arms race going on and Mm. teams are suiting up imports and trying to suit up Wildcats players and we're just sitting there going, really? Like, this this is is, an amateur competition, guys. So hard but we know we'll be back next year having a real shot at it next year we'll try and play this year and have some fun but 
we're mm. going to go out of our way to spend zero dollars on it. And if that means we get beat, then, then we get beat. Yeah, we just um, we mentioned last week, Ryan, uh, both Chris and I, in our conversation, how good it was to see uh, a Western Australian local come through um, the pathway, so to speak, like yourself, and uh, and get the the links position. Is there any areas of coaching that you could pass on to up and coming SBL coaches and uh, people that you know aspire to be WNBL coaches? What's the most important thing? Um, that you could pass on to them. Um, Got to have and again, clear opinion based, and I'm sure you've got your own thoughts, Randy. Um, clearly, you've got to have a work ethic and an appetite for it. So we try and do exercises with the players each year, uh, and ask them what what did you like, what did you not like, feedback, like and be honest about it. Like what did you like that we did, and what didn't you like that we did? And they'll fill up all the columns. That's fine. The general feedback from the players is like you can tell how much you love it. Um, like you're very passionate about it and um, you can tell you do a lot of work. So that makes it hard for them to not care. It's hard yeah. for them to rock up and just throw a game away because I spent 10 hours cutting film. Like, and also just you're doing a disservice to their careers if you're just taking it, taking a mickey or taking shortcuts or not doing the work. Obviously, state leagues, are amateur league, light or semi-professional league, so to speak. But there's certainly a lot of players in it, as we're seeing, that make it to the next level. Uh, and they are serious about it. They do want to go to Olympic Games. They do want to make national teams. They do want to make a living out of this for their lifestyle. Um, so if you don't do the work, they're not going to make it. So work your tail off. Never be in, like, never say no to anything. Um, like, take as much information as you can in. Um, throw it what you don't need, but never, like, never try and think you've mastered the game because every time you do, something new happens and you get beat from a different angle that you never thought of before. So keep learning, keep improving, but probably most importantly, work your tail off. Yeah, keep asking questions. That was uh, one thing that I that I did too. You know, I often ask you a few questions as well, and you never know, you never know everything. So it's always good to to touch base with other coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And even speaking to players, like generally the coaches that have failed over time, and everyone fails, but generally the players that give you feedback on other coaches, their major dislike or the coaches that fail, um, the ones that know it all and won't change. Um, the game keeps changing and the game has changed rapidly, especially the last five years. So the split second you think you've mastered it, it changes again. And if you don't want to change, like players, I got told this a long time ago, players aren't as smart as a head coach, but they're not dumb. Like they know, they know when something's wrong. So they might not know as much as the coach X and O's wise because they're not meant to. They're meant to, like they're obviously elite basketball players. We can't, as coaches, play like they can. Um, so the coach should be the smartest or one of the smartest people in the room, but the players aren't dumb. Players will know if you're wrong. The players will know if you don't want to change. If something's not going to work, they'll know. Um, so you can't you can't fluff your way through it. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I just ask you about Andy Stewart? Obviously, you worked with him for a long time now as his assistant at the Lynx. A change over as coach can sometimes not be a pleasant experience, but the changeover to you taking over did that go as smoothly as you could hope in the circumstances? And as far as you know, have you taken over the job with with Andy's blessing? Yeah, so I they when they first came and had coffee with me, uh, I don't know when that was, obviously before this coronavirus pandemic, they came and had coffee and were taking over and we were going to go in a different direction. Um, so are you interested, blah, 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 just an informal 
catch up and what would you do different and guys like a lot of information here all at once like <laughs> i didn't know about the takeover let alone the coaching change yeah. let alone if i was interested so kind of i take them back um and then yeah obviously when they they called and said listen you've got the job um okay great obviously no i have having some like no interview process like just a co- informal coffee catch up yeah. to you've got the job um okay um, a lot of information and process, but certainly mm. Andy was one of the first people I reached out to and said thank you to. Um, mm. Again, the right place, right time. If it wasn't for Andy bringing me up, I wouldn't be here now. So made sure I reached out and thanked him for his time. Um, obviously worked together for five years, learned some things that would work, learned some things that won't, and we'll try and go with our own philosophy. But yeah, certainly had a pretty good relationship with the guy. Um, spent five years with the bloke. Um, don't have anything bad to say about him. He's a great guy. Um, mm. So yeah, the handover went as smoothly as it could, I guess. Yeah, no, uh, I'm glad glad to hear that. One other, one more question from me: What's home life been like for you, you and Chelsea? And also, what's it been like to be running a gym and then have the gym taken away from you and now be starting that up again? So, firstly, how's the marriage holding up, and what what's work life been like over the last few months? Because I guess this coronavirus has affected us all in in different ways. Yeah, uh, the married fine. Um, <laughs> she wasn't a fan of the COVID beer that I was growing because I can't. Um, <laughs> wasn't a big fan of me being in PJs for literally 24 hours a day. <laughs> so as you said, I, I own a 24-hour gym and coach an SBL team and coach a WNBL team. Um, so having a pandemic hit rips all that up. So I went mm-hmm. from working 85 hours a week down to zero. So she wasn't a massive fan of me being on the couch in my pajamas 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whilst she was an essential worker and had to go to work. So she wasn't a fan of that. But that marriage is fine. In terms of, yeah, myself, uh, yeah, like I said, didn't do anything for two and a half months. So became a golf expert. I've gotten worse somehow, but um, <laughs> played, a, played a heck of a lot of golf. I shot, a, shot an 83 the other week, so that was exciting. Yeah. But I know I'll shoot 100 again next week, so I don't get too excited. Um, the main thing, I guess, is I tried to – there was just a ton of coaching clinics on online um, over that break and kind of just made an agreement with myself. Like, you can go as play as much golf as you want, but you need to get through at least one coaching clinic each day. And they, at times, can be very tedious. Um, and at times, they're incredible. But as long as I got through one coaching clinic a day, I was uh, free to go play as much golf as I wanted whilst trying to build a WNBL roster in the background. So it's been fun, but certainly it's been – no worse than anyone else. Like, it's been a hard time for everyone, obviously. It's probably um, would have been a nice little freshen up as well, Brian, just with the, the amount of time that, you know, the seasons roll into one another. I know that that's what you love and that's your job and that's what what you like to do, but uh, probably would have been good just to hit the pause button for a while and um, gather your thoughts and uh, get ready for what's, what's to lie ahead. Oh, and and absolutely. Um, that was probably the one thing my mum pointed out more than anyone else. Um, so I've done six years straight with no off season. So obviously the last five years of the link going straight into rocking MSBL. And the year prior to that, I did the under 20 state team. So um, it was six straight off seasons with like maybe a week or two break in between. Um, like I think Chelsea and I got a nine day holiday last year in between seasons. And that was the biggest gap we had. So I'm very lucky and thankful that I've got an understanding wife who knows what my passion is. But certainly the break for a mental freshen up um, was probably more than needed, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Well, just one last one, just on Chelsea. Is she going to play in this West Coast Classic? Oh, I, I have my opinion. So she's at 299 games from memory. I don't oh, know. Sort of, in, I in fact, she, in, fact, yeah. in fact, she is. Like, I, I really should know that. So she's uh, at 299 games. Yeah, no, and, yeah. uh, I, I and, know that too because I was. 
I was planning on starting this season with her 300-game milestone story. Okay, yeah, so she's mm. a 299, but her last game was as a championship captain. Personally, like, because I, 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 and again, like, Kay Tucker, who I've known since she was nine, like, Kay Tucker's last game was 350 and a championship mm. winner's captain, uh, and then that was it. Done. I'll see you later. Start off into the sunset. I understand she's a 299, uh, and she really wants to get to 300, but I was like, mate, like, if you don't win it, like, you're going to finish at 314 or whatever it is. Yeah. And no ring, like you then stuck chasing your tail forever in a day. Personally, like I would have just uh, set sail and gone. But at the same time, like I'll never tell her what to do. If she wants to play, uh, I wouldn't. But that's why we're different. If she wants to play, then she's welcome to play. Yeah. Just don't come home crying about how tired <laughs> you are and how sore you are and how old you are and everything else. Like don't, don't give me that. If you want to play, I will move whatever I possibly can to help you. But don't come home when you your body hurts because you knew that was going to happen anyway. It's a strange one because I don't think these games will count as official SBL games either, will they? So she might have to wait well, until then, next year anyway. Well, then what are we doing? But again, well, like yeah, if, she, if, she, if she enjoys it and she wants to play, then who am I to stop her? Mm-hmm. She doesn't try and stop me with my coaching and I'm certainly not going to try and stop her from playing games she loves. It's an interesting conversation. It'll be interesting what sort of feedback you get if she if she hears this discussion, Ryan. That might might make for make for an interesting night at home. She has more than heard this discussion many times, <laughs> um, and she'll tell me I'm an idiot, <laughs> and then she'll probably call me a few names, and that's just mm-hmm. par for the course. But no, no, this is a conversation we've had many times. Okay, um, she's more than welcome to do whatever she wants. Of course. Well, it's been a fascinating chat, Ryan. We could keep talking to you for forever, but you've been very generous with your time and. We really appreciate you now that you're a WNBL head coach to give up your time here on SBL Shootaround. Randy, have you got anything final for, for Ryan? Uh, all the best, Ryan, and uh, forward to catching up to you, know, you know, around the track, mate. I'll be, hopefully we can, Chris and I can get to some games and and uh, make some comments on the on the women's program, but obviously the men men's games will be gone, so you'll be around. So hopefully we can have a chat and uh, see how you're going with the Rockingham men, but also see how you're going with the length. So thanks a lot, Andy. Appreciate it, Randy. Anytime, guys. No problems at all. No, thanks, Ryan. You've always been been great to me. It's been great to know you for almost a, a decade now. So hopefully we can continue that. And all the best with the links and for your continued work with the Flames. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around and, and a real treat for us this week, Randy, to speak to one of one of the best leaders, one of the best defenders, one of the most inspirational players in the in the competition over the past past ten years. As you know, she hasn't quite got that championship, but she's gone ever so close as as you have, and she couldn't have given more over three hundred games to the Mandurah Magic, and it's great for us to have a chance to speak to her on the show. Rachel, how do we find you this evening? Hi guys, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, just new set, so I'm literally sitting in my car in car park at work. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I would get home in time um, before the phone call went through. But yeah, you've definitely um, pumped my tyres up a little bit too much there, I think, Chris. <laughs> um, just on Randy, before I hand you over to him, are you surprised that he's here doing a podcast with me? Um, no, not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy loves to talk and he loves his basketball, so talking about basketball on a podcast suits Randy quite well. <laughs> Mm. How are you going, Rach? I'm good, thanks, Randy. How are you? That's good. I haven't seen you since the uh, Mullinax wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was different times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was good. It was good. Yeah, so, Rach, I wanted to get somebody on that, um, that I'd coached and um, 
you're the first person that come to mind. Obviously, 304 SBL games. You've been in, around for quite a while now, um, starting back as a 16-year-old back in 2007, I believe. So just the last couple of years, you just had a couple of little niggles that have slowed you down, but you probably could be almost around probably 350 SBL games and probably still got a little bit left in the tank as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, not last season, the season before, I had that fractured fibula that interrupted my season a little bit, put me in a moon boot and kind of really didn't have a mechanism of injury as to how I hurt my fibula, possibly um, a previous ankle injury. But that kind of set me back leading into the finals of that year, which unfortunately we dropped the grand final, as you know. And then last year, yeah, unfortunately, my season ended a little bit earlier than intended with the old knee. So um, combination of ACL, MCL, some meniscus tears, but that doesn't really bother me at the moment. Just um, was really keen to get back this season. Um, was really looking forward to playing again and put my knee to the test. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case yet. No, I was just going to touch base on on that, actually, the reason, because it was an ACL, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I ruptured my ACL. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a story within itself because you, you decided to not um, have surgery and, and just rehab that knee. Can you tell us a little bit why you went down that pathway? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, it all, I mean, I've seen a lot of people go through ACL injuries, um, you know, we had Ash Norman back um, in the earlier days and then like Carly Bogue, Emma Marcus, um, a lot of teammates that had gone down with their ACLs and had gone down the path of surgery. And it wasn't long after Carly had actually done hers that I had a colleague at work who did his playing soccer um, and he had swapped over private health and he had this waiting period before he could even have surgery. New evidence coming out supporting conservative management of an ACL. And it's definitely a case-by-case scenario on how stable the knee is, um, like after the injury, as to whether or not conservative management would work. And working in the allied health industry and alongside a lot of physiotherapists, um, that kind of gave me the confidence to conservative management first. A lot of hamstring training. Um, I mean, a lot of the exercises that I'm... Um, was doing initially was a lot of the exercises that you would do in rehab following ACL reconstruction. Yep. Um, there was a lot of options in terms of if I was to have surgery, whether I'd go hamstring graft, tele-tendon graft. There's actually a surgeon in Perth who's doing a trailer with a quad graft. Yep. Um, there definitely was a lot of options out there, but I wasn't very keen on going under the knife. I guess I'm a bit of a chicken in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I put like, my knowledge and my actual job to test on myself and it coming along well. I mean, it was coming along really good and I was totally prepared to start this season and I still am keen to get back out and play basketball again. I'll just be rocking the old Don Joy knee brace like Ginger did when she played for us. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to hear that you would have been ready to go. How do you feel the knee feels? Does it feel like it's healed itself in a lot of ways does it feel pretty strong right now and the fact that you've now had the last three months to I guess continue to strengthen it without being on the court might actually work in your favor if you if you come back next month to play in this West Coast Classic yeah definitely I mean COVID-19 kind of has its positives and it has its negatives um, it did buy me a little bit more time but um, I felt ready to go um, when the season was supposed to start um, I felt like I was you know, 
that training well. My knee wasn't holding me back at all. Um, I felt fit, I felt strong, and yeah, getting used to playing in the knee brace was going to be the only um, different aspect for me. But I was quite lucky over um, the isolation period having a gym at my workplace that I was still allowed to use um, was very beneficial in maintaining that strength. So I was, yeah, very lucky in that respect. When a lot of gyms were closed, I had the clinic facilities that I was allowed to use. So. Hmm. I was down there the night where you hurt the knee, you know, down in Mandrake in that game against Rockingham, and you came back out in your wheelchair and you were still cheering as, as loudly as ever. It was pretty inspirational, to be fair, after what you had just gone through. But as the rest of the season unfolded, you got back to the to the playoffs. You, I mean, you, you had a great team, at, you know, coming off the two grand finals and you finished in second spot and was probably unlucky that you just ran into Rockingham when you did in that first round. How tough was it to sit there and have to, to watch on without being out on the court? Uh, it was so tough. I guess because I pride myself on defense so much, like just wanting to be out there and being a part of it, and you know, stopping their like their guns and helping my teammates in that respect. Like it was really hard to just sit there and try and keep my mouth shut. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was very tough. I used to say that my knees were the best part of my body, but I don't <laughs> say that anymore. <laughs> Just um, mentioning your defensive, um, taking pride in your defence, Rach, I've just made a couple of notes here and uh, probably guarded uh, probably the three of the the best players that have played in the SBL SBL over the last 10 years in Deanna Smith, Sammy Whitcomb and Alison Chagmire. So have you got any sort of little stories there that uh, you can tell us about uh, guarding them and what it was like to actually guard those girls that could uh, just score at will? Oh, to be honest, um, I think those, like the days where we were coming up to playing either, you know, Lakeside with Ali or Rockingham with um, Sammy Whitker, I'm like, I would just think about it all day, point where sometimes I'd make myself feel sick, <laughs> just the thought of having to come up against these amazing players. And then, you know, I'd build up this anxiety, I guess, before the game, and I'd have so much energy built up within me that I'd, you know, you kind of have to use that energy in a positive way, and defense is a really good way to use up that energy and burn those over. Um, and I just used to tell myself, like, you know, just don't let them get the ball, and if they get the ball, don't let them get to the basket. Just the basics. I think like, defense comes down to just hard work, and if you piss someone off enough by not letting them get the ball, <laughs> you're kind of going to win. Like, I've been... Um, Chested up by players in the past. I'm not going to name names. You know, I've been wiped in the face by a player in the past. You know, players have pushed me down and got themselves tech fouls. And yeah, I don't know. I guess defense comes down to hard work and how much you're willing to give and how smart you can be about it as well. But when you know that you're getting into someone's head, it's kind of a little win <laughs> for yourself. Yeah. Well, well, Randy talks about those three players, but how much does it help that you've spent your whole career, you know, at training, spending time guarding Casey Milo? How much has that helped get you ready oh. for those other players? I can't even describe how much it helps um, having Milo like, train against week in, week out. She, to me, I've got a I could be telling her she's going through that all day. She, to me, she's the best player in the league. Um, and she is just so tough to guard. Week in and week out at training, she beats me. She beats me. She gets the ball even though I don't want her to. Um, whenever it's five on five, it's... But I knew that it was going to make me a better player and by me giving my best at training would help to make Marla a better player. So it was a win-win situation really. She was the captain for so long obviously. What sort of an honour was it for you when Randy came to you and asked you to, to take over the captaincy? 
borrow, it was a shock, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm not a talker, like, in terms of, I encourage my teammates, but I'm not really one to put a lot into words. Um, so Monday has still been doing a lot of that, like, before games, you know, when you come into a huddle and talk, Milo still does a lot of that talking, and I still am learning from that. But I'm more, by example, and with my, my, I guess, hard work and application and commitment to the club, so... Um, yeah, it was definitely an honour um, and something that I do definitely do. And I'm happy that Milo's still playing so I can yeah, sure. continue to learn from her as well. Yeah, she's a great role model for, for lots of people and, you know, the culture oh, down is fantastic. And, uh, you know, you're a role model for the young uh, the Magic Girls now too, right? So, uh, you know, don't underestimate you, yourself. Just going back um, a little bit earlier in your career, um, I just made note there that you did win a, a bronze medal at the Australian Under-20 Junior Championships going back a few years. Um, it's, is there any girls left in the comp these days or are you, are you the last one remaining? I'm not the last one remaining. Um, we have Shani Amos in that side. Yep. Um, she's still playing for Wanneroo. I'm pretty sure she was planning on coming back yep. this season after having her child. Um, Gabby Clayton, I think she's now Gabby Turner. She's playing over in the Eastern States. Yep. Um, Emma Lobb's not playing anymore. Lucy Miller's little sister plays, but Lucy herself still I think that's just it. Yeah, Shani and myself. Mm. I could I could be wrong. I may have missed someone there, but I'm going through the team in my head and they're no, playing a, football or not playing basketball anymore. That's a, that's a fair effort. Um, yeah. yeah fantastic. The thing that's remarkable still, and I, I remember talking to you about this last year when we caught up ahead of your 300th game, is that it feels like you've been around forever, but You've played th- over 300 games, but you still haven't even got to 30 years of age yet. So as long as your knee holds up, you've got a lot of basketball left in you. I do. I'm about uh, two months off turning 30, so <laughs> it's coming. Um, but yeah, I do feel like I've got a lot of basketball left in me. Um, I think at the towards the end of each season, you always get the question, oh, are you going to go around again? And I was like, what do you mean? Am I going to go around again? I'm not even thinking about retiring. Like, mm. I don't know anything but basketball during winter. So, yeah, definitely no thoughts of retirement coming. The other thing I remember speaking to you about last year was how you were still making the commute down to Mandurah and your, your parents would put you up on, on training nights to, to help you out and you know make sure you had a, had, a, had a meal ready for you. But I believe now yeah. you, and, you and Sean have moved down to Mandurah and you've got, a, got your own house down there. We do, yeah. So we moved to Mandurah um, the weekend that SBL was supposed to start. SBL got cancelled and I said to Sean, well, we've got the keys <laughs> before anything else gets crazy and more restrictions come on, let's move, Um, and we did, and uh, yeah, I haven't really, I mean, now I have had the chance to come home from work and get my life sorted and get to training and cook my own meal, but (laughs) for a while there, it was a bit weird, there was no training, so a quick drive home and a lot of spare time on my hands to unpack the house and get things sorted, but we've settled in really nicely, Um, and yeah. I can imagine uh, the job list that you've given Sean's quite long. <laughs> <laughs> Sean hates my list. Yeah. Um, what about this West Coast Classic? I find it hard to imagine that you aren't putting your hand up to, to play in it, but do you have any idea what sort of team you're going to be able to assemble? Okay, I'm definitely keen to play in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard a lot of people ask me. Um, yeah, definitely. 
definitely, I just want to play basketball. So um, I told Watsy that, you know, put me, put my name down, you know, question mark next to me for a while. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely keen to play. Unfortunately, a couple of our girls were in hospitalities, so they were a bit hard during the, um, the isolation period. So they, we have a couple of girls that have through this work, which is totally unacceptable. Emma Clastorn is still out in Casually. Yeah. Um, Kelly Borthwick works as a nurse. So she's done a great job over this period. I'm not sure entirely how much she's going to be able to commit. Casey Milo says she may jump in for a game or two mm-hmm. here or there. Yep. Um, she's been training with us anyways and keeping fit and keeping her skills up. Um, and the rest of us are all keen to continue through. Mm. So it's really exciting to um, see how the West Coast Classic will turn out and yeah. what sort of teams will be put up. Yeah, I know every team is putting in a team. Yeah, they are. And yeah. I, I think it's just great that we'll have some sort of basketball action, you know, no matter no matter what it is after everything that, that's happened. Um, just finally, Randy touched on at the very start of this that uh, the last time we saw you was at, obviously, obviously Brian and, and Taylor's wedding. Can, is there any sort of stories you can let us in on? Uh, Bree's wedding was the best day Ever. I was just, when you think back to this year, I can't even believe that it was, you know, well, over six months ago. Um, but yeah, I guess given that we haven't been able to party or celebrate or really even hug each other in recent time, when you think back to the Mullinette's wedding, it was just incredible. Spent with being pleased my best friend and basketball brought us together. So to be able to spend those moments with people and making memories on our wedding day was, yeah, very special. So, yeah, it was a fantastic day, um, Rach. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great fun. Really good to catch up with all the girls from from the past couple of years. The majority of the girls were, were down there helping um, Bree and Taylor celebrate their day. Um, have you got training tonight? We do have training tonight. Um, I missed training on Monday because I had a bit of a bad headache and I was a bit dizzy on Monday, so I'm keen to get down there tonight and get back into it. Yep. Now that we can have a little bit of contact at training, it will be a bit more interesting than just shooting. Yeah, no, that, that's good. So is it just one one night a week or you you said this? Uh, we're Mondays and Thursdays at okay. the moment. Tuesdays and Thursdays now um, as a week. So. I'll pop down and see how you're going. be good to catch up with you. Yeah, it'd be good to see you, Randy. Okay, Rach, it's been, been great to catch up. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. I think we're all looking forward to seeing you back out on the court. It's great news that you've been able to do what you've done with your knee, get it back to, to, to health, and, yeah, we look forward to seeing you playing again, and thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, Randy, back here on SBR Shootaround, and terrific discussion there with, with Rachel Helene, who was your captain at the Mandurah Magic Um Big thank you for her to giving up her time on the back of what Ryan Petrick gave us as well. So hopefully everyone enjoyed those two interviews. Um, that's what we want to do here on SBR Shootaround is bring you the people that are involved in the game here in WA and, and just give them a platform to share their experiences really. So hopefully you all enjoyed that. Let's keep moving though because over the last couple of weeks we've had a look at eight teams already, how they were shaping up for the SBL season and how they might still be shaping up for the now confirmed West Coast Classic. And this week we've got our last four teams to look at. So let's get straight into it Randy because it's been a long show already. The Rockingham Flames, first of all, defending champions. Keegan Crawford, who took over mid-season last year, will now be 
the coach for his first full season. They came from from well down. They were 13-9 at the end of the regular season last year. So I think they finished seventh from memory because they played Mandurah, who were second in the first round. Obviously, losing Matty Allen and Darcy Garbin from your front court is never a good starting starting point. But you would have, I guess, if you're Keegan, you would have hoped that that, that Courtney Stothard and Chelsea Roberts would have helped to to make up for for the loss of, of those two. Christina Bogue would have been coming back. And Dana English is a very handy... Um, return to that to that backcourt just with the way she can handle the ball and, and run the point. They might not have been quite as good as last year given their losses and and given what Ryan said, I'm not sure how seriously they'll be taking this West Coast Classic either. So I'm not sure what 2020 holds for, for Rockingham. No, well, when we first spoke on the first show, I had uh, the Flames second mm. just with Matty Allen, Darcy Garvin and Ella Kenny. There's a lot yeah. of height yeah. missing from that side, so I'm actually going to um, move them out of my top four. <laughs> so only because of that, I didn't realise Darcy was yep. not going to be here. So that's that's a, I'll drop out of my four. She'll be sitting on the bench as she talked to us, us about last week alongside Keegan. If you're Keegan, do you put the pressure on her to play? Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> she might be needed to, so don't be surprised if she does end up on the court at some point during the West Coast Classic. The Southwest Slammers really feel for Nathan Grover because I think COVID-19 might have had a bigger impact on his team than, than just about a- anybody else because I think with, with Murray Stewart coming in, Taya Charlton, who is a New Zealander, and also so they and they'll also have returning Brittany Montgomery from last year as well, and three of those girls were here during during the Blitz, and, and I think they would have helped them be competitive, adding in Ash Norman and Vanessa Michael for some experiences as well, and even though they'd lost Michaela Dyer from the year before, as well as Kate Fielding and Courtney Bayless, I feel like he had enough there to be competitive, but all of a sudden, you won't have Stewart, you won't have Montgomery, you won't have Charlton for this West Coast Classic. You'll have an incredibly young team. Um, hopefully, hopefully, they can still put up a good fight. Well, last year they were very competitive. In, they were in, in the, absolutely in the WS world. You know, they were, they, they were pushing every side, and uh, just those outs are, are huge as far as putting points on the board. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'd say Nathan would probably be looking at it obviously as a development, looking at some new players. He might even have some people playing that we we don't even know about. Sure. So, but if if they were going to go ahead this year, I'd just probably just have them outside of the the eight mm-hmm. on on their on their on their team on paper. Now the Warwick Senators. Um, we spoke to Dion D'Agostino on our first show of SBL Shoot Around here, and back then it was a big shock that he had told us that Michaela Dyer was right to play, but she will be. They've got another new import, Jasmine Williams, who I can't remember if he said she was in the country or not, but if she is, then she'll be another handy addition. Obviously, I assume Sam Roscoe is here to continue playing. We know that Stacey Barr's here as well, and then you know the majority of the team that he had from last year will, will be back again as well, aside from the swap over in imports, losing Bianca Vajegas and, and Samaria Howard, but you would think the additions are an improvement on that. They look to be one of the teams to beat. They would have been in the SBL, and I just still think they will be in the, the West Coast Classic. Yeah, yep, I agree. So I'll put Sterling up in that top four and replace, you know, Sterling with uh, with the Flames. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting name there is Mackenzie clint Card. Yeah. Who's been at Hawaii and she comes from that breeding ground up in Kalgoorlie of CBC. Yeah, okay. Um, yep. 6'2", 6'3", very good good shooter. So that's a, a good in for Dion. Um, so yeah, they, they would be right up there. Yeah, absolutely. The Wolves and Tigers... I was really excited to see their new stadium unveiled as well in March. It's now it's now June and I still haven't seen it. So hopefully come July or August we get to see the new the new redeveloped Williton basketball stadium and they can unveil that finally. Um, Simon Parker's team, he's always a bit cagey with his imports. He had named one of them Paige Cashin. He hadn't named his second import yet. 
aside from that, he had a very similar team to what he had last year. So two new imports, but aside from that, pretty much the same the same team that he had last year. Yeah, he's got a great core of the Australian girls that have been yeah. there together for a long time, you know, and I think last year they were getting close to sort of reaching their potential as far as um, that group being together. I just sort of thought the imports weren't really quite the fit that they, they had. I think if mm. they had, if, if Simon's got it right with one of the imports, then, yeah. you know, they'd be knocking on the door of the, yep. the fours for sure. Yeah, I think so too. He, he finds a way to make his team fight hard. He's a he's a great coach, as we've talked about before, with the coaches that you went to battle against. He mm. he's a championship winning coach. He knows what he's what he's doing, and yeah, with that group of local Wilson girls that he always has, yeah, you'd think they'll be competitive once again. So now that we've looked at every team, Randy, what we will do, we'll come back next week. Yep, we'll come back with our our top eight for how we thought the SBL would have looked. We'll pick our we'll pick our we'll pick our top eight. We'll pick our grand final teams. We'll pick our championship team. We'll pick our MVP, our grand final MVP, most improved player, and maybe our all-star five of how we thought this SBL season would have would have looked. And then in sounds, coming sounds pretty easy. <laughs> and then in coming weeks, we can actually look forward to some real action yeah. with the West Coast Classic. So we'll get that out of the way next week. So if anybody wants to join in, hit us up on any of our social media channels. Just type in SPL Shootaround and let us know who you thought would have been the teams to beat and the the top individual performers this season as well. And we'll make sure we read it out on the show next week. So plenty for us there to to get through, Randy. And you've even got some got some homework. So I'll I'll make sure I remind you before we get back here next week. To, yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah. Good, good. Now, it's been a huge show, Randy. Really enjoyed it. But we wouldn't be here without the support of Bassett Scarf Realty. It's it's fantastic for us on a brand new venture here to have a sponsor on board already. And to be honest, we wouldn't be here without their support. So it's fantastic for them to be on board. Yeah, absolutely. Number one real estate agent in Mander. Mm-hmm. Um, go online, have a look and see what properties are there for, for sale. And you might find yourself a, a beautiful home or, a, or you know, a, a beautiful Mander beach shack or something mm. like that. Absolutely. So get in touch with medbassettscarf.com.au and they'll make sure that they take care of you. So been a huge show, Randy. Time to wrap it up. But thanks to Ryan Petrick, thanks to Rachel Helene, and thanks to you. But I'm Chris Pike. I'll sign off and leave you in the hands once more of Randy Meagle. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah, obviously the story of the week is is assigning a Sammy Whitcomb, you know, and just having a look at it. If uh, you can get Sammy and Darcy on board and, you know, Ali Shagmire, and it's almost like a, you know, all-star five over the last, you know, five or ten years of the SBL, you know, those Shag Chags and Sammy won six of the last seven MVPs. So really exciting for, for basketball in, in WA on the on the women's side of things. So, yeah, that's it for me. Um, enjoyed the show. Enjoyed talking to both uh, Ryan and... Rachel, and yeah, we just got to look forward to now getting another guest for next week.